You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Well, Howard, Jim, the original Beltway Briefing Band is uh, reunited for this podcast, and I think we're going to change it up a little this morning because what a world we live in. What a world. What a world, and we are fortunate uh, for these purposes in, in this respect because both of you have been in government at the highest levels when dealing with the most severe crises. And this is nothing if not a severe crisis. So let's talk a little about your experience, your perspective, and where we are, where we can go. Howard, I'm going to start with you just to remind our listeners, you were in the room, literally in the room, uh, one of a handful of top federal officials dealing with the financial crisis 10, 11 years ago. So tell us, what what should government be doing? You guys and our government got us out of the last crisis. How do we get out of this one? Well, we're Mark, we're behind the curve um, as it stands today, but we are where we are. And I think there are a bunch of things that the administration, that the government has to do in order to deal with the situation. The first thing is we have to understand the scope of the problem we're dealing with. You can't act before you understand. That's why the testing for the virus is is so significant. So we've got to understand the problem as, as best as we can. And look, this is different from 08. It's a different kind of crisis, but, but I think there are, there is a playbook, um, arising out of what we did and, and what government has done before. So you have to understand the scope of the problem, consider the options for addressing it. There are all sorts of different aspects of this. Um, but for each of those, there's, there's a, there's are there are options. And then you got to put a team together to, to execute. And I think very importantly, you need, you need oversight. And I think in times like this, although it's counter to the way Trump has governed, this is, this is government, not politics. And look, there's all what you never get away from the politics completely, but this is, we are in a situation where governing matters and you put governing first, you never get the politics out of it entirely, but you, you, you deal with the politics by embracing oversight, by understanding that there are separation of powers for a reason. And, and frankly, you kind of, you, you depoliticize it to the, to the extent possible and, and allow for criticism. You have to be willing to take the hits. So, well, in a nutshell, that that's my so, playbook. Well, Jim, uh, you were with uh, Governor Corbett um, in the room for some significant crises, uh, more storms than than public health, although they, of course, had a public health dimension. And you were in the White House for a year with this administration. 
So when Howard says depoliticize to the extent possible, is that even possible, Jim? Look, it's the political season and, you know, I wear a political hat too, and it's the political season and it's going to be tough to take the politics out of that. I, I agree with Howard, but to the extent possible, all parties need to do that and work together to try to communicate and, and accomplish a common goal, which is to protect the American people. I think um, you saw, you saw some of that. I saw Mitch McConnell on the floor uh, lauding the governor of California for the communication and, and, and the nonpartisan nature of the communications between California and the administration on trying to help out in that side of the country. Um, you know, I did serve in the, in the, as general counsel to the governor of Pennsylvania at a time where we had flooding issues and then other times during Superstorm Sandy. And I can remember being in the, at the Pennsylvania Emergency Management Center, sitting with the governor, the adjutant general of the, of the Commonwealth who runs the National Guard, all of the all of the relevant experts from their from their fields on weather and whether it's you know whether it's weather health and human services um, you know across the board education across the board and I think what you see here is is all these states issuing emergency proclamations and the, I, I think what we should talk a little bit about today is what what is an emergency proclamation and what significance does it have. I think a lot of times when governments issue emergency proclamations, people tend to their immediate reaction is to panic because they don't understand what that's really there for, what that mechanism triggers. The reason why you have emergency proclamations is to one, unlock funds so that both federal funds can flow and state funds can flow. You saw Governor Hogan in Maryland taking you know millions and millions of dollars out of a rainy day fund so that he can be better prepared to deal with the issues and without having to need to get permission from the legislature in order to do so. Well, and, you saw and Governor Wolf has, of course, done that here, probably following a template that you wrote for Governor Corbett. No question. Governor Wolf has done a very good job here in Pennsylvania in dealing with this issue. Uh, he And if you look at his proclamation, it deals with health and human services in Pennsylvania, unlocks the ability of the Health and Human Services Secretary to do what is necessary, even if that means ignoring certain statutes and regulations in order to accomplish a goal. Same thing with the Department of Education, because you're going to have significant issues. You see higher ed education institutions closing, high, you know, middle schools and high schools closing, and you're going to see more and more of that. And some of that's going to violate state law. And that's okay if it violates state law, so long as you have these emergency management orders in place. So I think Tom, Governor Wolf's been doing a real nice job with it. But that so, is, if I can just jump in, Mark, that, I, please, that is like the fundamental issue here is that we need to deal with the fundamental problem. <laughs> And the fundamental problem is the virus spreading. And the reason that it hasn't taken hold in South Korea and Japan the way that it seems to be here is that they took drastic measures. And this, we're dealing with multiple crises in a sense here because the, the fundamental crisis is the virus. And, and illness. The secondary impact is everything else, the, the economic problem. And, and we're going to have to make the economic problem worse in order to deal with the fundamental problem. 
But government, Howard, of course, has a significant role in addressing both of those problems. And it is obviously critical for leadership to strike a balance. Look at the emergency order that Jim was just talking about. The reporting, Jim Howard, is that the president is resisting declaring an emergency at the national level. The Democrats in Congress are calling for it and and others. Talk about that. What, what do we do with that? Does that cause more panic? Is it panic that is necessary to address the public health problem? It, it is a public health crisis most fundamentally. It is a financial crisis, economic crisis, way beyond the market secondarily. And then there is the panic. What do, well, I, what do we do all, with all of that? It's, it's all wound up together. Yep. So I think this is fundamentally at the end of the, whether a national and whether the president has to declare emergency or not is fundamentally a legal question at the end of the day. What can't we do now that we need to be able to do? And if the answer to that is we need to unlock more executive power, because that's what a national emergency does at the end of the day. If we need to exact, if we need to unlock more authority by the federal government, then and, and we can't accomplish what we need to accomplish without unlocking that authority, then you need to declare a national emergency. But Jim, the, yeah. but Jim, sorry, the, the everybody I'm talking to inside 1600 Pennsylvania says that he doesn't want to declare a national emergency because he doesn't like the message. Well, that's that's right. So I think he's right. That's not a so legal there's, question. There's, that's, no, I understand. But there, but there, so the fundamental question is you have to counterbalance the point you just made, Howard, which is does this create more panic, more instability versus, you know, what do what do we need from our federal government right now that we can't already get? But so yes, people might be saying he's reticent to do it because, you know, of the of the more panic. And that may outweigh the necessities that we need in terms of, you know, unlocking the, fed the the powers of the federal government, if you will. Yeah, but the only problem with that equation is he's not equipped to make that judgment. He's not. Right, right. But I'm sure I'm sure the National Security Council, the the White House Counsel's Office, the the Office of, um, you know, Domestic Policy and in communication with the other federal agencies that... Yeah. But, that are involved those, are making recommendations. He, he and, needs to take, and maybe those are not the experts. He needs to take himself out of this. What we did in 0809 most fundamentally was insulate the White House. The best way to deal with this from a management point of view is also the best way to deal with it for him from a political point of view. Turn it over to the experts. Get out of it. Let other people make the judgments. It was a fundamental mistake to have Mike Pence manage this. Take it out of the White House, run it out of HHS, run it out of somewhere else. But Donald Trump getting on TV last night and addressing the nation didn't do anything to make this better. Not helpful. In fact, uh, more unhelpful with the confusion about the travel ban. And let me just ask you about that. Good idea? Bad idea? What? Anything that Dr. Fauci says is needed to manage this effectively from a public health point of view 
is a good idea, period. Period. And, what, and, and that's whatever that means. And what is you're all saying that matters and set everything else aside. And if I'm no, hearing I, I, you correctly, Howard, what you're saying, looking back at your experience is not only let Dr. Fauci, let the experts make that call, but let them make that announcement. Is that what you're saying? hundred percent, because the communication is critical. And, and look, we didn't get the communication. It was very hard to explain what we were doing in 08, 09. And the, the political workout associated with what we were doing is, is still going on because people were understandably so angry, but we had a singular mission. Our singular mission was to stabilize the financial system. It wasn't to protect the economy. It, it was to stabilize the financial system and protect the taxpayer dollars, the $700 billion hedge fund we were starting inside the U.S. Treasury. We had, but we fundamentally had a singular mission, stabilize the financial system. And we were laser focused on that. Everything else was derivative of that in our view. And, and that focus, I think, is part of the reason at the end of the day, we were successful in accomplishing that mission and everything else flowed from there. So in this instance, at the outset, I don't think it was a bad idea to have Vice President Pence in charge of this operation because there has to be a leader in charge of that and i think as a governor he understands as a former governor he understands the issues and the multi-agency aspect of this and quite frankly this is probably uh, you know i, I don't want to speak for what you were working on back then howard but i think this probably encompasses more federal agencies than what you were dealing with back then and i think as you as as as, as, as vice president pence you know, you need to have that multi-agency coordination, and that's what governors do primarily, right, is manage government agencies across the board. Um, now, the federal government's much bigger, and I think that in this particular instance, I think that governor having, having Vice President Pence in charge was a good thing. I agree with you that we should be listening to the experts of Dr. Fauci and following his advice, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't flow through the vice president, and then ultimately a briefing to the president but on what's going on. My comment, sound, my comment sounds political, but it's actually not. It is. I, I'm not arguing. No, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is. I'm not arguing that Mike Pence is not qualified to manage the crisis. I'm just arguing that it's bad for the White House to be managing the crisis. And that's and that's a political determination that the White House needs exactly. to make. And, and, exactly. And that, that's exactly okay. my point. And, and are it, they going to own it? Or are they not? And I think they're going to own it regardless. So if you have somebody very competent that understands government, that's been at all levels of government running the operation, meaning Vice President Pence, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I wasn't I wasn't saying that what you were saying was that they were politicizing this by doing it. I just think I disagree fundamentally with the idea that Vice President Pence shouldn't have been in charge because I think he's a he's a government uh, he's operated government at a number of levels whether it's in the legislature or in the executive uh, in the executive seat. The way to depoliticize it, they are politicizing it by putting the vice president in charge. Every time he gets up and says anything, he has to have a talking point in which he kisses Trump's ass about shutting down the air corridor between China and the U.S. It's I mean, so let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. The 
the air corridor between China and the U.S. or the air corridor, you know, between Europe and the U.S. at this point in time. You know, those are issues that both TSA, the Department of Transportation, a number of different agencies are going to be taking on that particular issue, probably far beyond that. Plus, you have the Treasury Department because all the financial issues that we're encountering. You have a number of different federal agencies that are impacted, this, including HHS. You need somebody coordinating that effort. Totally. And you can't put HHS in charge, right? Having been a person who has been at the executive level of government, meaning in the in the chair sitting next to the governor on these issues, you get a lot of you know interagency fighting that occurs from time to time when crises happen. Because Very HHS true. is going to disagree with another agency. You need someone from the executive branch to stop, step in and say, no, this is what we're going to do. I think this is the right this is the right path to take because you have folks dug in and their heels dug in in these agencies. You need to undig them from time to time. I think Pence, being a former governor, is the right guy to do that. And I think he has a team around him that, Jim, can, that can handle this well. Then have the vice president make the announcement of the European travel ban. The president last night and you and I are setting partisanship aside here. This is a serious moment and we're having a sober conversation, but I think we can all agree factually that the president did not do uh, a, a superb job of presenting that travel ban and it just sows more confusion and undermines confidence in the leadership when he sits in the Oval Office and mispronounces and misannounces his own travel ban. If the vice president is in charge, let him be in charge. If, as Howard is suggesting, decisions are being made by experts, let the Secretary of Transportation make that announcement. I just think for my two cents worth, never having served as, as you two have at, at the highest levels during a crisis, I, I just think that the president isn't helping himself or helping us by being the face of the federal response to this. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is this is going to have to get worse before it gets better. And I don't mean the virus. I mean the secondary impacts. Because in order to stem the tide, this, we're going to have to shut down. We're going to have to shut down, which doesn't mean business stops. You know, we'll all be working from home, but we're all going to be working from home. <laughs> and two of us are doing that at the moment, Howard. <laughs> right. So. I'm about to lose my I'm about to lose my recording studio because my daughter's coming home from college. I mean, things are. Things are shutting down and that's what has to happen. And Trump has been trying to tell everybody that that's not going to happen, that it's just the flu. And unfortunately, he, he in doing so, he's also seeded the narrative in Washington. The Democrats are way ahead of him politically. Nancy Pelosi put out her stimulus. It's not a stimulus. Her response package well, let's, last let's, night. It's a workers' rights, the worker protection package. Rather, that's going to pass. But by let's, all accounts. let's talk about that for a moment. Because speaking of working, whether remotely or in the office, uh, we are getting questions hourly 
I'm sure some have come in on our email while we've been talking this morning. We're getting questions hourly from our colleagues and clients about what happens next with government action. These are not public health questions. We are not the experts on that. But we do know a little bit about government and people are looking to us for guidance on where this is going as a matter of congressional and executive action. We have two different approaches so far being discussed. The president has, if I may again factually, Jim, say has generally and and vaguely discussed a payroll tax and an approach that is much more directed at the markets uh, than it is at the workers. There is, from Speaker Pelosi, a package that is more about the workers uh, and includes public health measures, testing, free testing for everyone who wants it. Those are two different ways to go after this. What what do we see happening, guys? Both, both. But- the question is, is when there isn't going to be a broad economic stimulus right now. This bill, Pelosi's bill is going to the floor today and it's going to be um, passed by the House uh, before they recess, before tomorrow. they recess tomorrow. Um, it's going to pass and it is it, it's a bottom up bill. It is a protect the workers bill, which is and a public health bill, like you said, Um, the top down stimulative measures and and, um, you know, how the dealing with the economic fallout, that's that's weeks away. And by the way, that's okay because nothing that happens right away is um, as far as that's concerned. You don't feel it takes a while to feel that. It's okay, and that needs to really be thought about from a host of perspectives. Um, but Pelosi sees the narrative. Pelosi and Schumer on Sunday night they put out an outline of the things that they want to see in a legislative package. That's what she has moved, and the administration, by all accounts, Secretary Mnuchin from Treasury, who's been negotiating with Pelosi, um, has has endorsed the package, so to speak, and it appears that the Senate Republicans are not getting in the way. It appears that could change, um, but it appears that they're not getting in the way. The Senate will probably stay in and and Trump's not going to, he's, he's going to sign the bill in, in this context. And I'm not saying positive or negative that the bill is good or bad, but I am saying that the administration let Nancy seize the narrative on this and that they're ahead of him. Well, let's talk. Jim, a little uh, process here and uh, our clients and, and friends and colleagues, families are are listening. And as you know, we will circulate this to many more. So maybe we can get ahead of some of the questions we are getting and, and try to provide a little insight. How, how do we see, guys, the process unfolding for the second step. You've described, Howard, what is going to happen today and tomorrow or next week with the Senate. That cake is largely baked, but there is going to be a larger stimulus type package that is going to get put together. Our our colleagues and clients are 
interested in what might be in there are interested in being heard on what they might want to see or think might be better for the country to have in there. So how is that going to all unfold, Jim? Well, I just think we need to make sure that it's just not government growing government and government making decisions that definitely that are going to impact the American people. You know, we have experts in the healthcare field and the pharmaceutical field and the airline industry and the entertainment industry and the travel industry and tourism. All of those folks need to be at the table, you know, to, you know, advance their interests, if you will, because it all comes back to one, protect the American people and protect the American economy, which you know, from a health perspective and an economic perspective. So to have, you know, the expertise at the table, which we saw, we saw some of that come out of the administration with the healthcare professionals, you're going to have to listen to the governors, right? Health, you know, health insurance is regulated by, by states in this country. You know, you're going to have to be listening to governors and, and how that impacts them state by state and how you, and how the federal government reacts to this issue as it relates to, testing and other things, you're going to have to listen to the governors. So it's going to have to be a cooperative approach, communication with your Republican or Democrat between the National Governors Association and this executive branch is going to be paramount, along with working with the, you know, the various industry groups that are oh so important to protecting our our public. Look, Mark, there was a in 08, there was a a long gap, 0809, between TARP passage of right. the Stability Act um, that I was executing in Treasury beginning in October of 08 and passage of a stimulus bill well down the road. You had, and, among other things, a change of administrations. Right. And exactly. And part of the, which by the way, was seamless to, to the credit, to the great credit of the Obama administration, he made the choice for continuity. He knew he had to keep going. Um, I think, the, Howard, you're complimenting the Obama-Biden transition team there, aren't you? I am. Like, of yeah. course, Mark, it was all you. <laughs> um, no, but there was seamless. It was seamless as between Bush and Obama. The coordination was unbelievable. I mean, I was sitting there in on, on Christmas in 2008, in the basement of the treasury building with the entire Obama treasury transition team sketching out everything we were doing and spoon feeding to them exactly why we did everything we we did so that they understood they were deep, deep, deep in the weeds. And Geithner, Secretary Geithner was, he was at the table from the very beginning. So courageous choice. But Right. It wasn't until Obama came around that the stimulus bill was passed. So a lot of time passed. And that's back to my point about you have to deal with the root cause and then deal with the, the economic fallout. We have to see where this thing goes. But there's absolutely going to be a conversation um, around what has to happen in order to repair the economic fallout. I think it's a little bit early to diagnose it, but those conversations are, are going on. We've got clients in the travel industry and clients in the transportation industry and 
We've been talking to people in government all week about what what may happen. They're taking information in. There isn't really poli- there isn't firm policy coming out yet. And if you're going to be affected, you got to be in the conversation. I mean that that's part of the fundamental point here. Well, one difference, Jim, from the experience that you've described sitting with the governor and that Howard's described uh, in the basement of the Treasury Building is that a lot of this this time around, because of the public health crisis, is going to take place remotely. I don't know that you're going to have that meeting, Howard, in the basement of the Treasury. I don't know, Jim, that you're going to have that meeting in the uh, Pima Command Center. How's this going to work as, as a remote location matter? I, I think that is, I think that's going to, there are going to have to be those meetings. I don't think it has to be remote, especially with the groups of folks that are going to be involved in critical decision-making. Now, are you going to bring the outside groups in and other folks in? No, that can all be done via conference call. But government is not going to go home and stay home. The folks in the Capitol, the folks in the in the Situation Room, the folks in HHS that are critical to HHS are still going to be working. There. I agree. There are, there are going to be people that need to be there. There are going to this whole I, idea of essential versus non-essential personnel is a is a is a um, labor relations and a and a and a debate that we're you know you're going to see time and time again now who who needs to be in the office and who doesn't. But at the government levels, at a time of emergency an emergency like this in a situation like this, the folks who need to make decisions are going to be present and accounted for, and they will have been tested and make right. sure they're not communicating some t- the, the disease. Right, including think, the president. Right. And right. I, I well, guess, I guess, look, I don't mean to sound anti-Trump on this. I'm not looking at this politically. I'm looking at it through the lens of my experience, which is the only way I can look at it. And also, I, let's not sugarcoat 0809. Bear Stearns failed in March of 2008. Six months later, Lehman Brothers failed. And a lot of bad stuff happened in between. It was like watching a, a train wreck in, in slow motion. And the government was arguably behind the curve there. I didn't come into Treasury until October. And and I was one of the first people in operationally. So as bad as things are, I mean, I, I'm rooting for the administration. There's, there's time. And we are where we are. They just need to be super smart about separating the issues depoliticizing and and executing. And also, I again, part of being smart here is you have to embrace the oversight. You know, Congress has a role to play. Inspector generals have a role to play. I think the president should g- affirmatively ask certain committees of Congress to oversee, maybe call for the formation of a congressional oversight panel, which by the way, it was a huge pain for me in, in 08, having to deal with Liz Warren chairing the congressional oversight panel. But it insulates you on some level. Call for some of those measures. Call for the oversight. Call for the, basically, call for second guessing. That's, that's kind of the point here. Multiple heads are better than one. You have to you have to depoliticize it in that respect and kind of separate it into its component parts and be prepared to take the hits. You got to take the hits. We knew sitting in the basement of the treasury building, trying to execute the damn thing. Like we had televisions. 
We were watching CNBC in real time. We saw what the market was doing. We took the damn hits. We knew that the media was crawling all over us. We knew everybody was second guessing us. We knew that everybody was calling it a Wall Street bailout. We look, we were singularly focused and the administration, this administration and the people running it, they have to have an effective operation. They have to embrace the hits. They have to they have to be willing to to work as part of a team and part of a team is opening yourself up to criticism. Well, to a certain. Yeah, I, I agree with some of that, Howard. I think to a certain extent, though, the lo- life is a lot different now than it was in 2008. And politically, there is such a divide in this country between the Republicans and the Democrats. And that, you know, I- inviting oversight sometimes will also invite, you know, far overreach that could just hinder the recovery process here, both from a health and human ser- health perspective and from a financial perspective. I do believe Congress does have a role here, no question about it. But, you know, there needs to be that push and pull between the executive branch and the and the legislative branch of government that's gone on forever. Definitely. That's what I'm saying. I think it's still going to be that the vitriol and the division is still going to be so great at this point in time from the from the chairs of those committees in in the House of Representatives and the executive branch that it's going to it will devolve quickly depending upon how everyone conducts themselves. And that includes the Democrats in Congress. Well, that's why you take it out of the president. That's why you move. That's why that's one of the reasons you take the lightning rod away. And to the extent you can, you can't completely divorce it from the president, but you you take the lightning rod out of the equation. And look, this is what leadership is about. This is what governing is about. And people have to step up. And look, Hank Paulson and Tim Geithner, they weren't worried about taking the hits. They were the adults in the room. Ben Bernanke, the adult in the room. And tough times call for great leaders. And let's see if we've got some great leaders. Well, let's let that be the last word. We are all on the same page in rooting for the administration and Congress to get a grip on this and start digging out of the hole that we're in. I hope uh, this has been helpful for our listeners. It is certainly the voice of experience uh, with, with Jim and Howard that we've heard. And we will see where we are in a week. Uh, If we're doing a little better, we may return to the political punch out, Jim. And we can next week uh, congratulate Howard on finally putting Bernie away and and moving beyond that uh, in in the primaries. But for now, thank you. This has been very sober, very serious, I hope very helpful. And let's Let's root for a better podcast because we're in a better place in a week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.